Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the final episode of this season's Where Credits Do. I'll be back next year with a new round of podcasts. And given the crazy times we're living in, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of topics to cover. Until then, you'll find more content in the lending newsletter I send out every two weeks, filled with articles, research, charts, and news to keep you up to date with the latest things happening in this industry. The growth of digital banking has welcomed the emergence of virtual cards. Virtual cards exist only in digital form in a digital wallet. So say bye to plastic and hello to code. Some digital challenger banks allow customers to create virtual cards in a matter of seconds. To shop more securely online, for example, one can create a virtual card and even destroy it after the purchase was made. This is a big reason why virtual cards are increasing in popularity. They offer more robust security measures, making it harder for hackers and fraudsters to skirt the system. There's also very compelling business use cases for virtual cards. Corporate expense management might be moving from tediously having to submit all that boring info about that client lunch to just tapping a virtual corporate card with a smartphone. Some have even called this a revolution in business expense management. No more boring, time-consuming software. Now, a company can issue however many corporate cards it wants, and each card can have its own restrictions. I'm talking about all of this today with my guests, Kalpesh Kapadia, CEO at Deserve, a credit card as a service provider, and Brian Barnes, CEO at personal finance platform M1. Thank you, Brian and Kalpesh, for joining me on the Where Credits Do podcast today. We're talking about digital credit cards or virtual cards, which represent some of the most recent innovations in the credit card space. They have really taken off in multiple corners of the market, from business expense management to creating a full-on digital subsector of credit cards as a service. The credit card has essentially evolved from plastic to code and Kalpesh, I'd like to start with getting your overview of this transition. How do you see this evolutionary step? Lulia, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, as you uh, rightly pointed out, uh, you know, the money in general is moving from cash to plastic to code. It's a 50-year transformation of money. And we are kind of in the middle of the transformation uh, if you think about 50 years, you know, Apple launched a credit card product in 2020 or 2019. You know, uh, for the 25, 30 years prior to that, sort of industry was organized in the analog era, which I call the COBOL mainframe, manual processing, batch processing, plastic, all that. Uh, and the the app, the mobile app was kind of an afterthought uh, that you could download to manage your car. And Apple flipped the paradigm and said, no, uh, just like everything else in uh, our life, uh, you know, there are about 50 devices over the course of 15 years that have been sucked into the iPhone. Uh, I think driver license are going to be next. Credit cards are already in digital wallets. So we believe that over the next 10 years, as more and more terminals uh, start accepting Apple Pay, Google Pay, contactless, uh, more and more cards are going to 
become part of your uh, digital wallet and you will actually ditch your actual wallet. So there's like two camps here. One camp is advertising heavily saying what's in your wallet, what's your top of wallet, which is capital ones of the world. And Apple wants you to ditch your wallet. So we believe that you know ultimately digital experience is superior. So uh, on, on all respects. So the industry is going to move in that direction and we want to be there. I agree. Digital is slowly but surely becoming the default way in which we operate and financial transactions are at the heart of that. Brian, what do you think? What's the role of a credit card in a digital economy? Uh, yeah, so you know, I, I 100% agree with Cal Pash on everything that he said that in the most abstract form, the credit card, the more interesting part of the credit card is the credit portion that, you know, people need to pay for everything in cash. That's what retailers accept. That's what, you know, people expect as they get paid for various things. And for an individual managing their finances, it's relatively expensive to keep all the liquidity uh, on hand to, to manage that. And so the, the credit card came out and the, the line of credit came out where it says, the bank says, we will give you free access to liquidity up to a certain limit. If it's free for 30 days, if you go beyond that, we're going to start charging you. But it is a extremely powerful concept for an individual to manage their day-to-day -day spending. The card aspect of that is just how you access it. And I think it's the least interesting part of it. Uh, there, there's no reason why it needs to be tied to a piece of plastic. There's no reason why it can't be accessible via a lot of things, whether that's your mobile device, uh, a watch, a token on the internet and the like. And so you know, I, I think by going digital, you just have a lot more forms that are more convenient, more secure, easier to access uh, on you at all times. It's not an additional piece of things, uh, a piece of plastic that you need to carry around. And so being able to, you know, abstract away the credit and the card portion from the, the credit card just makes it a lot more beneficial for the, the end user. Yeah, for sure. Going fully digital is making everything more accessible. It's reaching a wider audience. But with increasing scale also comes a rise in fraud. And I think a big reason why virtual cards are increasing in popularity is because they do offer more robust security measures. And I want to get your opinion on this front. What are you observing and why is this the case? So uh, clearly the device footprint, the ID associated with the device uh, in the card authentication, all these things taken together uh, is providing more uh, security, if you will, uh, to each transaction because the awareness as to where you're using the card, like for instance, if someone gets my card number and starts using it in Philippines, nothing against Philippines, but uh, you know, there is a flag that, hey, this person typically doesn't travel outside of this geolocation or this radius. How come this card was swiped somewhere halfway across the world, right? With phones and cards, you can marry those two together and have better awareness of uh, the person's patterns, if you will and manage security better uh, in a seamless way, in a frictionless way, rather than making them, you know, if you go to gas station every time you have to enter your zip codes, if I'm in Ohio and have a rental car, 
I have to enter my Palo Alto zip code, right? When I fill gas. Uh, you know, so, so this is sort of very basic rules that people have on zip code based or transaction pattern based or velocity based rules. With, with phones and card married together, when it becomes digital, uh, you know, it reduces friction, it can give rise to fraud, but you can also manage fraud better. So to Apple card is a perfect example or deserved card where we don't have a PAN number on your card. So for instance, uh, any reason I lose my card, people can't get access to my 16 digit account number or CVV or expiry date, right? So right there you have uh, security and then you can freeze the card from your app so, you know, the, the plastic that you lost, you lost your wallet, how many times, you know, people have lost their wallet or, you know, got stolen and then you have to cancel all your credit card. You can do all of these things in a digital world much, much better way than calling each card company and saying, hey, cancel my card or calling the credit bureau and putting a freeze on things. So, you know, I think the, the reasons for fraud are unfortunately relatively obvious that, you know, People without having to work hard get free money or money at the, the cost of, of becoming a criminal. And, you know, I, I really do think the the modern day bank robber, so to speak, is not you know someone who wears the cowboy hat and, and holds up a bank. But it's really someone who has a laptop in a remote location and is able to access things digitally. And so they're trying to you know get get money um, through illicit means for and, and you know profit from that. Uh, the, the big thing that a finance firm like Deserve or like uh, M1 has to, to contend with is for every transaction, how likely is it that that person who owns the card, who has authority over it, is making that transaction? In the analog world that Kalpesh talked about, it's really only holding onto the physical piece of plastic and typing in something that you may know, something like a, a, a zip code of where you live. In the digital world, you actually have a lot more information. So, you know, you have a phone that may have a pin code or a face ID or a thumbprint authentication on it. You can have location services enabled. You, if every transaction that you do is digital, you have a very robust data set of the patterns that every single person goes through. You can match that on their individual patterns, on holistic patterns. And so it is really by moving everything to the digital world, you just get the powers of computers to analyze every single transaction and make a much more robust decision on, is the person who should own the card making this transaction? And so it is, you know, it's, it's a arms race, so to speak. There's, you know, uh, different fraudsters that are, that are trying to beat that, but the, the fraudsters get a benefit through, you know, not, not having to be in person to commit the fraud, being able to do it in a remote location with an internet connection, the digital finance firm gets the ability to have a whole lot more data to base their you know, anti-fraud decisions on and really make it robust uh, to, to decide to decline, to remove and track all of these things. I, I think that's, a, that's an excellent point, Brian. I would even add that uh, e-physical card security can be improved by marrying it to the device or watch or a phone. Uh, we are all used to two-factor authentication, Apple is now sort of uh, talking about the vicinity. If your phone and your laptop is not in the same vicinity, it gives you an alert. 
So you could do things like the card and the phone are within 30 feet of each other. So if you, in case you forgot your phone in your car and you're at the target, it will still work uh, as long as it's in the periphery of where you are. So you could create some sort of a rules which are two-factor authentication and improve physical card security as well. Yeah, for sure. And actually something that I really love about my digital bank provider is the ability to create new digital cards on the spot for security purposes. So if I'm shopping online on sites that I'm not fully confident about security-wise, I can just generate a one-time use digital card on the spot, which is really great for me as a consumer. Um, However, it's a really interesting thing that you said, Brian, regarding all the data points that can be gathered. And I wonder who owns the data in this case? Is it the credit card provider, the payments company, or is it the bank? Do we even know who has control over all these data points on the consumer? (laughs) It is a very good question and truthfully, probably above my pay grade. Um, You know, I know that this is going to be debated quite a bit. Um, Ultimately, you know, I, I actually think it's beneficial for both parties to have access and control over the data, that the individual is the one taking the action to make the data, there's you know helpfulness and transportability to be able to do with that data what you want. But M1 as a firm, like we have no want but to help people improve their finances and having more data on the individual helps us do that. And so you know we we are investing incredibly heavily in building systems and technology and processing, all of which take time, energy, money, uh, you know, uh, uh, just sheer intellect of the, the engineers that, that do the work. And, you know, we, we, we do need that data to provide the customer experience that, well, truthfully, the customer wants. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it is very, the, the, the legality of it is, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll let our Congress people sort of debate that. I do think the finance firm has a big benefit of having a lot of data on the customer. I think it drives a better consumer experience. And I do think that there is a little bit of a tilt that if they have data, it's nefarious. And I, I just don't view that to be the case. We're, we come to work every day trying to help people improve their finances. And so that that is our motivation and, and why we collect the data that we do. And I would add that, uh, you know, it's an opt-in basis. So consumer opt-in, to uh, add the security features. Uh, so, you know, it is a data used uh, in that context. So it's very, uh, you know, our terms of service have to be very clear as to why I need this data and what benefit are you gonna get from this data. And we are not going to share it with anyone else. So Apple is at the forefront of privacy. Now, I believe CFPB is coming out with open banking data uh, policy. So uh, there's a lot that is going to be decided or regulated over time, but ultimately, as Brian said, you know, we are on the consumer side. So you want to help them improve their finances, help them uh, reduce their fraud, you know, uh, and, and go through the hassle. So if you are explaining it properly and you are messaging it properly, uh, I believe consumers will opt into it. Yes, today it's all about personalized financial services, and you can only do that with massive amounts of data points. 
But yeah, on the consumer side, a lot of those data privacy aspects will be decided in the future. I'd like to talk about the corporate use cases of digital cards as well. There's been a lot of interest with virtual cards in business expenses management. What's the demand like from the corporate sector for these types of services? Uh, I yeah 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 I believe that uh, you know uh, on the corporate or small business side, as Brian had earlier mentioned, that it provides this float, the thirty day credit. Uh, the cards to provide that. And I think it's very, very important when you are managing cash flows of your businesses. Forget about the cash flows of the household, but business cash flow. So uh, providing that float to businesses is one thing that's powerful. The second thing is, you know, controls, card controls for your employees or by department, by merchant, that if you are a marketing person, you can spend $500 a day on Facebook or Google search marketing. So you have controls as a CFO saying, okay, this department needs this much budget to spend on this merchant or this service. Uh, also uh, transparency, uh, uh, you know, expense management, budgeting, uh, integration with accounting software. As you know, earlier theme that we talked about, once you make card, uh, in a transaction digital entity, you can move data around in your stack and, and you can integrate with other service services to seamlessly. And I think that is why it is super important to make card and, and transactions and payments digital so that uh, you, know, uh, you have better controls, better transparency, better accountability, uh, all of that. And I believe that is happening in corporate expense management and, uh, you know, with, with the likes of uh, Ramp and Brex and Divi uh, are doing a lot of, or Airbase, they're doing a lot of innovation on that front. Yeah, so I think of, you know, credit card almost as a pyramid of, of needs, uh, for, for lack of a better term. And at the base of the pyramid, it's, it's truthfully just the access to credit. You know, we, we talked about that at the, the beginning of this interview of, People need liquidity to manage their day-to-day -day life, and it's expensive to hold all of that on hand yourself, and so the banks can come in and, and facilitate that. I think we've, we've then talked about security, and so you know, it, it, it's not just good enough to have access to credit that anybody can access. You have to lock down the parameters and only have the person who is authorized to use it use it. I think one area, you know, sort of moving up the pyramid is, is cash back. Um, I think that's a, a huge aspect of you know, the, the way that economics of the credit card work, there, there's truthfully just a little bit of excess profit in it. And a lot of these companies compete and they're rebating the excess profit back to the, the customers through cash back. And so, you know, it, it, it makes for a very efficient industry and, you know, the, the customer benefits as a result of that. And then I think at the, the peak of the pyramid, it's all the analytics that Calpash talked about of when it's digital, how can you use this information to make very personalized insights, recommendations, analytics for, for all these things? And so whether it's you know spending by merchant, uh, cash flow analysis, ways to pull back and spend less, but you know, achieve the same outcomes, you know, all, all of these things that are, are possible, that's where you know, I, I think a lot of the, the interesting stuff exists. And you know, I, I really do think of it as you know, there's foundational stuff and then. Um, you know, some, some of that has been handled by traditional credit card over time 
as we digitize everything, the analytics just become super powerful and impactful in the ability to, to provide insights and recommendations on how people want to, to manage their money. It's true. And this is really innovative for corporates that are using spreadsheets or cumbersome software when expensing things. Um, and I'm also, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about credit card as a service, which is a very interesting example of embedded finance, really. Kalpesh, the Zerf is a key player in the sector. Can you give us a quick overview? So we pioneered the term credit card as a service. Uh, deserve and we are the leader in in this space uh, we we believe that uh, the next frontier in banking as a service is credit card uh, a lot of companies can do sort of prepaid cards debit cards as, as a service uh, i think that credit is complex as Brian and i talked about you know underwriting is super important you know when you're issuing debit cards you sort of you know, people are putting money uh, with you, right? So uh, you have to do KYC, it's their money, they're spending it over time, uh, you know, uh, so that's that's one thing here that is different with credit card is underwriting because you're giving money away and you need to know who you're giving money to, whether they are credit worthy or not. And there are many ways to determine credit worthiness, not just through credit scores. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is, you know, uh, interchange is higher. So there is the rewards policy and rewards catalog that you have to manage, which doesn't exist in debit cards. Most debit cards are very low interchange, at least the ones that are powered by large banks. So there is no rewards associated with it. Uh, so that's, you know, underwriting rewards capability or catalog or policy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, disputes and chargeback is another key aspect of it. Uh, and then credit has uh, myriads of regulations that are different. Uh, there are about 13 regulations that apply uh, to credit cards, uh, you know, alphabet soup of A to Z, and uh, you need to be compliant in every which way. Because if, you know, this is one product where you reject customers. And, uh, you know, think about other industries where that exists where you reject customers, you don't. So, so you have to be very careful in being compliant from fair lending standpoint. So that's another uh, differentiation there. And then, you know, servicing, where, uh, you know, you're halfway across the world and you need to call someone to understand why the fee was charged or you lost your card or things of that sort. Uh, so a lot of, lot of uh, nuances that make it super complex uh to manage and we 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 bring it under one roof with one contract one api and and you know on the embedded front uh, that you talked about i would add that uh, we have a set of apis that allows partners like m1 to embed a credit card deeply into their financial super app and and bring the experience to life uh if you go to chase uh, and, and uh, you know, have a card with them, you have to manage it within the Chase app, even if you are Amazon, even if you're Starbucks, right? Uh, United, uh, to name but a few. Whereas uh, with Deserve, you don't have to go to a separate app. You can manage all of your credit card functionality within the M1 app. 
So those are some of the points of differentiation and why this industry is so interesting and evolving. Brian, I'm curious to hear your take as well, given that M1 partnered with Deserve on credit cards. What's that partnership like? And how was the experience of embedding this type of a financial product in your existing suite? Yeah, so the, the partnership has been fantastic. Um, so, you know, M1, we're a personal finance platform and we do a lot of different things. And we have three main pillars of invest, borrow, spend. So we do digital brokerage and digital banking all wrapped in, into to one. So we're, you know, trying to trying to take on a lot all at one given time. And like Cal Pesh mentioned, finance is just hard. You know, it, it's the regulations make for a very high hurdle to, to get involved. And you're just on the consumer side, you're dealing with people's money. And so, you know, in a consumer app, you might lose a piece of data, people will recover. You can't do that with, with people's money, right? You, you the, the bar is much higher. You, you sort of have to aim for perfection across all of these things. Because of that, M1 just can't do it all. You know, we, we need fantastic partners that are great at technology, that are building core infrastructure such that we can support the products that we want to offer to our, our customers. And I think if you look at a lot of the incumbents, it's, you know, they're just very dated. You know, they were created in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Their technology stack is about that old. And from a modern tech development perspective, it's just very, very hard and expensive to integrate with them. And so, you know, we, we partnered with Deserve. We're thrilled about the partnership and all the things that Kalpesh mentioned are, are true. They have a modern tech platform. They have a composable API set. They allow us to customize the experience that we want to offer the customer, uh, embed it very deeply into our application and, and really just, you know, custom tailor the, the program that we want. And it, it's one of the things that if we tried to do it ourselves, you know, it would take an incredibly long period of time. It'd be expensive. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to find partners that can do a lot of the heavy lifting alongside us where they can handle a lot of the, the backend technology, infrastructure, operations support, you know, all the things that we mentioned. And then we can really focus on the tech integration, the, the customer experience, the uh, what, what the end consumer sort of sees and interacts with on a day-to-day -day basis. And it allows us to, you know, offer more products at a, a better price uh, across the entire personal finance suite. To read the transcript of our conversation, head over to Tearsheet.co and make sure you subscribe to Where Credits Do wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be out with a new episode every two weeks, bringing you conversations with industry leaders on the ever-changing lending landscape. And if you're interested in more content, you can subscribe to our lending newsletter and briefing in your inbox every other week. Thanks for listening and I'll see you at the next one.